0: Book Two, Chapter One, of My Own Story, by Emmeline Pankhurst. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by K Hand. Four Years of Peaceful Militancy, Chapter One. The campaign of 1907 began with a women's parliament, called together on February 13th in Caxton Hall, to consider the provisions of the King's Speech, which had been read in the National Parliament on the opening day of the session, February 12th the king's speech as i have explained is the official announcement of the government's program for the session when our women's parliament met at three o'clock on the afternoon of the thirteenth we knew that the government meant to do nothing for women during the session ahead i presided over the women's meeting which was marked with a fervency and a determination of spirit at that time altogether unprecedented A resolution expressing indignation that woman's suffrage should have been omitted from the King's speech, and calling upon the House of Commons to give immediate facilities to such a measure, was moved and carried. A motion to send the resolution from the hall to the Prime Minister was also carried. The slogan, Rise Up Women, was cried from the platform, the answering shout coming back as from one woman, now. With copies of the resolution in their hands, the chosen deputation hurried forth into the February dusk, ready for Parliament or prison, as the Fates decreed. Fate did not leave them very long in doubt. The government, it appeared, had decided that not again should their sacred halls of parliament be desecrated by women asking for the vote, and orders had been given that would henceforth prevent women from reaching even the outer precincts of the House of Commons. So when our deputation of women arrived in the neighbourhood of Westminster Abbey, they found themselves opposed by a solid line of police who, at a sharp order from their chief, began to stride through and through the ranks of the procession trying to turn the women back. Bravely the women rallied and pressed forward a little farther. Suddenly a body of mounted police came riding up at a smart trot, and for the next five hours or more a struggle, quite indescribable for brutality and ruthlessness, went on. The horsemen rode directly into the procession, scattering the women right and left, but still the women would not turn back. Again and again they returned, only to fly again and again from the merciless hoofs. Some of the women left the streets for the pavements, but even there the horsemen pursued them, pressing them so close to walls and railings that they were obliged to retreat temporarily to avoid being crushed. Other strategists took refuge in doorways, but they were dragged out by the foot police and were thrown directly in front of the horses. Still the women fought to reach the House of Commons with their resolution. They fought until their clothes were torn, their bodies bruised, and the last ounce of their strength exhausted. Fifteen of them did actually fight their way through those hundreds on hundreds of police, foot and mounted, as far as the stranger's lobby of the house. Here they attempted to hold a meeting and were arrested. Outside many more women were taken into custody it was ten o'clock before the last arrest was made and the square cleared of the crowds. after that the mounted men continued to guard the approaches to the house of commons until the house rose at midnight the next morning fifty-seven women and two men were arraigned, two and three at a time in westminster police court christabel pankhurst was the first to be placed on the dock she tried to explain to the magistrate that the deputation of the day before was a perfectly peaceful attempt to present a resolution which sooner or later would be presented and acted upon she assured him that the deputation was but the beginning of a campaign that would not cease until the government yielded to the women's demand there can be no going back for us she declared and more will happen if we do not get justice the magistrate mr curtis bennett who was destined later to try women for that more rebuked my daughter sternly, telling her that the government had nothing to do with causing the disorders of the day before, that the women were entirely responsible for what had occurred, and, finally, that these disgraceful scenes in the streets must cease, just as King Canute told the ocean that it must roll out instead of in. "'The scenes can be stopped in only one way,' replied the prisoner. His sole reply to that was, twenty shillings or fourteen days. Christabel chose the prison sentence, and so did all the other prisoners.' mrs despard who headed the deputation and sylvia pankhurst who was with her were given three weeks in prison of course the raid as it was called gave the women's social and political union an enormous amount of publicity on the whole favorable publicity the newspapers were almost unanimous in condemning the government for sending mounted troops out against unarmed women angry questions were asked in parliament and our ranks once more increased in size and ardor the old-fashioned suffragists men as well as women cried out that we had alienated all our friends in parliament but this proved to be untrue indeed it was found that a liberal member mr dickinson had won the first place in the ballot and had announced that he intended to use it to introduce a women's suffrage bill more than this the prime minister sir henry campbell bannerman promised to give the bill his support for a time a very short time it is true we felt that the hour of our freedom might be at hand that our prisoners had perhaps already won us our precious symbol the vote Soon, however, a number of professed suffragists in the House began to complain that Mr. Dickinson's bill—practically the original bill—was not democratic enough, that it would enfranchise only the women of the upper classes, to which, by the way, most of them belonged. That this was not true had been proved again and again from the municipal registers, which showed a majority of the working women's names as qualified householders. The contention was but a shallow excuse, and we knew it. Therefore we were not surprised when Sir Henry Campbell Bannerman departed from his pledge of support and allowed the bill to be talked out following this event the second women's parliament assembled on the afternoon of march twenty nineteen o seven as before we adopted a resolution calling upon the government to introduce an official suffrage measure and again we voted to send the resolution from the hall to the prime minister lady haberton was chosen to lead the deputation and instantly hundreds of women sprang up and volunteered to accompany her this time the police met the women at the door of the hall and another useless disgraceful scene of barbarous brute force opposition took place something like one thousand police had been sent out to guard the house of commons from the peaceful invasion of a few hundred women all afternoon and evening we kept caxton hall open the women returning every now and again singly and in small groups to have their bruises bathed or their torn clothing repaired as night fell the crowds in the street grew denser and the struggle between the women and the police became more desperate lady harberton we heard had succeeded in reaching the entrance to the house of commons nay had actually managed to press past the sentries into the lobby but her resolution had not been presented to the prime minister she and many others were arrested before the police at last succeeded in clearing the streets and the dreadful affair was over the next day in westminster police court the magistrate meted out sentences varying from twenty shillings or fourteen days to forty shillings or one month's imprisonment two of the women mrs woodlock and mrs chatterton who had left holloway only a week before were, as old offenders, given thirty days without the option of a fine. Another woman, Mary Lee, was given thirty days because she offended the magistrate's dignity by hanging a Votes for Women banner over the edge of the dock. Those of my readers who are unable to connect the word militancy with anything milder than arson are invited to reflect that within the first two months of the year 1907, the English government sent to prison 130 women whose militancy consisted merely of trying to carry a resolution from a hall to the Prime Minister in the House of Commons our crime was called obstructing the police it will be seen that it was the police who did the obstructing it may be asked why neither of these deputations was led by me personally the reason was that i was needed in another capacity that of leader and supervisor of the suffrage forces in the field to defeat government candidates at by elections on the night of the second riot while our women were still struggling in the streets i left london for hexham in northumberland where by our work the majority of the liberal candidate was reduced by a thousand votes seven more by-elections followed in rapid succession our by-election work was such a new thing in english politics that we attracted an enormous amount of attention wherever we went it was our custom to begin work the very hour we entered a town if on our way from the station to the hotel we encountered a group of men say in the marketplace we either stopped and held a meeting on the spot or else we stayed long enough to tell them when and where our meetings were to be held and to urge them to attend the usual first step after securing lodgings was to hire a vacant shop fill the windows with suffrage literature and fling out our purple green and white flag meanwhile some of us were busy hiring the best available hall if we got possession of the battleground before the men we sometimes cornered all the good halls and left the candidate nothing but schoolhouses for his indoor meetings Truth to tell, our meetings were so much more popular than theirs that we really needed the larger halls. Often, a candidate with the suffragettes for rivals spoke to almost empty benches. The crowds were away listening to the women. Naturally, this greatly displeased the politicians, and it scandalized many of the old-fashioned liberal partisans. In one place-I think it was Colney Valley in Yorkshire-an amusing instance of masculine hostility occurred. We had arrived on a day when both conservative and liberal committees were choosing their candidates, and we thought it a good opportunity to hold a series of outdoor meetings we tried to get a lorry for a rostrum but the only man in town who had these big vans to let disapproved of suffragettes so violently that he wouldn't let us have one so we borrowed a chair from a woman shopkeeper and went at it soon we had a large crowd and an interested audience we also got the attention of a number of small boys with pea-shooters and had to make our speeches under a blistering fire of dried peas while i was speaking the fire ceased to my relief for dried peas sting. I continued my speech with renewed vigour, only to have one of my best points spoiled by roars of laughter from the crowd. I finished somehow and sat down, and then it was explained to me that the pea-shooters had been financed by one of the prominent liberals of the town, another man who disapproved of our policy of opposing the government. As soon as the ammunition gave out, this man furnished boys with a choice supply of rotten oranges. These were not so easily handled, it appeared, for the very first one went wild, and struck the chivalrous gentleman violently in the neck. This it was that had caused the laughter and stopped the attack on the women. We met with some pretty rough horseplay, and even with some brutality, in several by-elections, but on the whole we found the men ready, and the women more than ready, to listen to us. We tamed and educated a public that had always been used to violence at elections. We even tamed the boys who came to the meeting on purpose to Skylark. When we were in Rutlandshire that spring, three schoolboys came to see me and told me shyly that they were interested in suffrage. They had had a debate on the subject at their school, and although the decision had been for the other side, all the boys wanted to know more about it wouldn't i please have a meeting especially for them of course i consented and i found my boy audience quite delightful indeed i hope they liked me half as well as i did them all through the spring our by-election work continued with amazing success although our part in the government losses was rarely admitted by the politicians the voters knew however at an election in suffolk where we helped to double the unionist vote the successful candidate speaking to the crowd from his hotel window said what has been the cause of this great and glorious victory instantly the crowd roared votes for women three cheers for the suffragettes this was not at all what the successful candidate had intended but he waved his hand graciously and said no doubt the ladies had something to do with it the newspaper correspondents were not so reluctant to acknowledge our influence even when they condemned our policy they were unsparing in their admiration for our energy and the courage and ardor of our workers said the correspondent of the london tribune a liberal paper hostile to our tactics their staying power judging them by the standards of men is extraordinary by taking afternoons as well as evening meetings they have worked twice as hard as the men they are up earlier they retire just as late women against men they are better speakers more logical better informed better phrased with a sure insight for the telling argument after a summer spent in strengthening our forces organizing new branches holding meetings something like three thousand of these between may and october Invading meetings of cabinet ministers, we managed to do that about once every day. Electioneering, and getting up huge demonstrations in various cities, we arrived at the end of the year. In the last months of the year, I directed several hotly contested by-elections, at one of which I met with one of the most serious misadventures of my life. This by-election was held in the division of Mid-Devon, a stronghold of liberalism. In fact, since its creation in 1885, the seat has never been held by any except a liberal member the constituency is a large one divided into eight districts the population of the towns is a rough and boisterous one and its devotion blind and unreasoning to the liberal party has always reflected the rude spirit of the voters a unionist woman told me shortly after my arrival that my life would be unsafe if i dared openly to oppose the liberal candidate she had never dared she assured me to wear her party colors in public however i did speak in our headquarters at newton abbott the principal town of the division at hall and at bovie tracy we held meetings twice a day calling upon the voters to beat the government in mid devon as a message that women must have votes next year although some of the meetings were turbulent we were treated with much more consideration than either of the candidates who not infrequently were howled down and put to flight often the air of their meetings was thick with decayed vegetables and dirty snowballs we had some rather lively sessions too Once, at an outdoor meeting, some young ruffs dragged our lorry round and round until it seemed we must be upset, and several times the language hurled at us from the crowd was quite unfit for me to repeat. Still, we escaped actual violence until the day of the election, when it was announced that the Unionist candidate had won the seat by a majority of twelve hundred and eighty. We knew instantly that the deepest resentment of the liberals would be aroused, but it did not occur to us that the resentment would be directed actively at us after the declaration at the polls my companion mrs Martle, and i started to walk to our lodgings some of our friends stopped us and drew our attention to the newly elected unionist member of parliament who was being escorted from the polling place by a strong guard of police we were warned that our safety demanded an immediate flight from the town i laughingly assured our friends that i was never afraid to trust myself in a crowd and we walked on suddenly we were confronted by a crowd of young men and boys clay cutters from the pits on the edge of town these young men who wore the red rosettes of the liberal party had just heard of their candidate's defeat and they were mad with rage and humiliation one of them pointed to us crying they did it those women did it a yell went up from the crowd and we were deluged with a shower of clay and rotten eggs we were not especially frightened but the eggs were unbearable and to escape them we rushed into a little grocer's shop close at hand the grocer's wife closed and bolted the door but the poor grocer cried out that his place would be wrecked I did not want that to happen, of course, so I asked them to let us out by the back door. They let us out the door into a small backyard, which led into a little lane whence we expected to make our escape. But when we reached the yard we found that the Rowdies, anticipating our move, had surged round the corner and were waiting for us. They seized Mrs. Martle first and began beating her over the head with their fists, but the brave wife of the shopkeeper, hearing the shouts and the oaths of the men, flung open the door and rushed to our rescue. Between us we managed to tear Mrs. Martle from her captors and to get her into the house i expected to get into the house too but as i reached the threshold a staggering blow fell on the back of my head rough hands grasped the collar of my coat and i was flung violently to the ground stunned i must have lost consciousness for a moment for my next sensation was of cold wet mud seeping through my clothing sight returning to me i perceived the men silent now but with a dreadful lowering silence closing in a ring around me in the centre of the ring was an empty barrel and the horrid thought occurred to me that they might intend putting me in it a long time seemed to pass, while the ring of men slowly drew closer. I looked at them, and their drab clothes smeared with yellow pit-clay, and they appeared so underfed, so puny and sodden, that a poignant pity for them swept over me. Poor souls, I thought, and then I said suddenly, Are none of you men? Then one of the youths started toward me, and I knew that whatever was going to happen to me was about to begin. At that very moment came shouts and a rush of police who had fought their way through hostile crowds to rescue us of course the mob turned tail and fled and i was carried gently into the shop which the police guarded for two hours before it was deemed safe for us to leave in closed motor car it was many months before either mrs martell or i recovered from our injuries the rowdies foiled of their women prey, went to the conservative club smashed all the windows in the house and kept the members besieged there through the night the next morning the body of a man frightfully bruised about the head was found in the mill-race throughout all this disorder and probable crime not a man was arrested Contrast this, if you like, with the treatment given our women in London. The King opened Parliament in Great State on January 29, 1908. Again his speech omitted all mention of women's suffrage, and again the WSPU issued a call for a women's Parliament for February 11th, 12th, and 13th. Before it was convened, we heard that an excellent place in the ballot had been won by a friend of the movement, Mr. Stranger, who promised to introduce a suffrage bill. February 28th was the day fixed for the second reading, and we realized that strong pressure would have to be brought to bear to prevent the bill from being wrecked, as the Dickinson bill had been the previous year. Therefore, on the first day of the Women's Parliament, almost every woman present volunteered for the deputation, which was to try to carry the resolution to the Prime Minister led by two well-known portrait painters the deputation left caxton hall and proceeded in orderly ranks four abreast toward the house of commons the crowds in the street were enormous thousands of sympathizers coming out to help the women thousands of police determined that the women should not be helped and thousands of curious spectators when the struggle was over fifty men were locked up in police-court cells the next morning when the cases were tried mr musket who prosecuted for the crown and who was perhaps a little tired of telling the suffragettes that these scenes in the streets must cease and then seeing them go on exactly as if he had not spoken made a very severe and terrifying address he told the women that this time they would be subject to the usual maximum of two months imprisonment with the option of a fine of five pounds but that in case they ever offended again the law had worse terrors in store for them it proposed to revive for the benefit of the suffragettes an act passed in the reign of charles the second which dealt with tumultuous petitions either to the crown or parliament this act provided that no person should dare to go to the king or to parliament with any petition complaint remonstrance declaration or other address accompanied with a number of persons above twelve a fine of one hundred pounds or three months imprisonment might be imposed under this law the magistrate then sentenced all but two of the women to be bound over for twelve months or to serve six weeks in the second division two other women old offenders were given one month in the third division or lowest class all the prisoners except two who had very ill relatives at home chose the prison sentence the next day's session of the women's parliament was one of intense excitement, as the women reviewed the events of the previous day, the trials, and especially the threat to revive the obsolete act of Charles the Second, an act which was passed to obstruct the progress of the Liberal Party, which came into existence under the Stuarts, and under the second Charles was fighting for its life. It was an amazing thing that the political descendants of these men were proposing to revive the act to, to obstruct the advance of the women's cause, fighting for its life under George V and his liberal government. At least, it was evidence that the government were baffled in their attempt to crush our movement. Christabel Pankhurst, presiding over the second session of the Women's Parliament, said, At last it is realized that women are fighting for freedom, as their fathers fought. If they want twelve women, eh, and more than twelve, if a hundred women are wanted to be tried under that act and sent to prison for three months, they can be found. I was not present at this session, nor had I been present at the first one. I was working in a by-election in South Leeds, the last of several important by-elections in great industrial centers, where our success was unquestioned, except by the liberal press. The elections had wound up with a great procession, at a meeting of a hundred thousand people on Hounslit Moor. The most wonderful enthusiasm marked that meeting. I shall never forget what splendid order the people kept, in spite of the fact that no police protection was given us, how the vast crowd parted to let our procession through, how the throngs of millwomen kept up a chorus in broad Yorkshire shall us win shall us have the vote we shall no wonder the old people shook their beads and declared that there had never been an out like it End of book two, chapter one